High in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground of mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from the writing of Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray with me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. My guest today is Marley Rowell. She's a woman trying to undo the stigma around mental illness through art after her husband died by suicide. She calls herself a suicide widow and has a website called Suicide Widow Etiquette, featuring her art and stages of grief. Marley, my darling, you are as cute as you are on your website. I love that it's actually suicidewidowetiquette.com, and the very first line is, wait, is that a thing? And it is, or should be a thing. And so people come across this and say, did you get this from a book, or what do they ask when they see that title? Okay, the first time I referred to myself as a suicide widow, um, how do I put this? There was a very strong visceral reaction. And I was probably two years into my grief. And I watched this unfold, and it was, came from a wonderful place of love. Is that's not who you are. You Don't ever say that again. And I thought, gosh, of the things that have happened in my life, the birth of both my children and the suicide of my husband changed me more than anything else. So if I were going to go backwards and hush all that up, um, gosh, I think I'd be denying a grief journey that was worth... I don't want anyone to have to take this journey, but if you're there, I think God meets you at your most vulnerable, and that is when you have... Um, the greatest gift, and that's when you really understand the depth of a love that is beyond anything I understood before. I find that they have. I find that you have a really strong importance of the word "hush" in what you're yes. doing, and yes. I find that on your website and also when you're talking. And ultimately, there's that sort of hush and hide everything that helps other people sleep better and feel better about you yes. being a suicide widow. Absolutely, hush comes with a connotation of shame. Um, it, be quiet means something very different than hush because we tend to hush things that uh, we don't want people to know about ourselves. And uh, pretending that my husband didn't die by suicide uh, would be... Um, it's not important that everyone know that. It's not that the grocery clerk needs to know that. But if you're close to me, it's a very significant piece of who I am, especially now that um, I, the suicide is a good 10 years ago. The 10th anniversary will come up this summer. I wouldn't be having this conversation at five years, maybe at seven. The grief process is very, very long, especially when you're not allowed to talk about it. And I don't really think we grieve well as a culture to begin with. You know, even, even if you had a respectable death, <laughs> uh, a normal death, I think 
we give people about six months, and for me, they gave me about a year. And I kind of speak with a bit of authority there because my father died six months after my husband. And the difference in how the two deaths were treated was uh, really a gift to me to see the difference, to understand what people who are grieving a suicide go through. Because uh, about six months, I was literally saying to God, I think I got this. I think we're in good shape now. And I think he giggled and said, well, let's see. And shortly thereafter, I got a call that my parents were having issues, and my dad had had a heart attack. And um, it was a very, very different grief process than the suicide. And I'm blessed by both. And to say faith gets tested is much more than that. It became an intimate dance with God. And I'm so grateful that I stopped my world to listen to him. I love that attitude, and I love the fact that you, like you say, you're willing to listen. I can't imagine when this first happened to you that you knew anybody else who this had happened to? No, but God provides in in very unpredictable ways, and I had been a... Um, I had been a Stephen minister for quite some time, and I had worked with someone that had attempted suicide. So not that that was even relevant. My, my husband's journey, so your listeners know, he had a very long, uh, very difficult struggle with a deep clinical depression for at least 10 years, but if I'm honest, it was longer than that. And he was very proactive in trying to heal. And because of that, um, my grieving process was easier than if you'd just been slam dunked with the shock. It's, oh, suicide is always shocking. But uh, we, we were, you know, very, very surprised when the suicide happened. But if there's such a thing as a kind and gentle suicide, I would have to say that my husband's was. He was a pediatric dentist. Um, he had done everything medically and everything in terms of um, talk therapy. And at the point of the suicide, which he helped himself fall asleep via dental equipment, he really wasn't um, angry. He wore out. He was exhausted from trying to stay alive. There's a really big difference. And my children and I were clear on that. So our grieving journey was different than uh, well, every suicide is radically different, but I'm ever so thankful for a God that, especially we happen to be taping this during Holy Week, we, we know that we have a God that meets us in our pain, but had I pushed my pain away and hushed it as I started to do in the beginning and said, you know, I'm fine because I think our culture is pretty much terminally fine. And sometimes in Christianity, we're perfectly fine because that means we have strong faith. But instead, I sat with God and I had a God that could actually cry with me and say, I understand what it means to be uh, judged I understand what it means to be uh, ridiculed. I mean, we are at Holy Week. Jesus went through so much more than I ever did. So to be able to cry with a God that could say, I get it, with incredible credibility, what a gift that was. 
I want to hear about how you had the process of the Suicide Widow Etiquette website and how you really found that you could channel your grief through your artistic ability. That came later, probably, uh, well, maybe that's not quite true. I started writing right away after the suicide. I, I kind of had a, it was a prayer form in the beginning. Um, and then cha- there were so many blessings and you don't see blessings so much when you're so raw in the beginning, but as you heal and you look back with hindsight, you realize just how many people were put in place, situations were put in place, or things from my past or even my childhood that had prepared me to cope with where I stood in that moment. So suicide widow etiquette came because I was so frustrated by the hush Um, And I just felt, you know, there are other people out there that are grieving suicides and feel um, invalidated or just that, that what they're experiencing is so uncomfortable to people, especially people who love and care for them, that they don't feel like they can talk about it. And I think you need safe people who will actually listen without trying to tell you a story about what they did after grandpa died or so-and-so after a suicide in such and such point in life. You just need a safe place to get it out. And I did have that. There was a a friend who came every week, and she sat with me and listened to me drivel on. Every week was different, but she really hardly said a word. And that was manna from heaven just to be able to express myself without feeling judged or cut off or feeling like I had to take care of her. Most people, I felt like I had to take care of them because I knew they were struggling with the discomfort. That totally makes sense. Yeah. I think that you're, you end up being in that strong position because right. they maybe don't know somebody going through your situation. Like you say, it's not considered a natural death where when dad died it was oh gosh this happened and probably with your husband not as much right (laughs) conversation there yeah very different has your website allowed people to come to you other women in your situation or friends of women in your situation a safe space where they can say I have a question about this or how did you get through this and it kind of puts you almost in a grief therapist sort of role I'm hesitant on that because I think everyone's individual I am not in any way shape or form qualified to be anyone's therapist but I I have had people reach out and they're so relieved to know that someone is actually talking um but everyone's story is different, and I want, I, if I can encourage anyone to just sit in that quiet time in the solitude with you and your God or whatever, wherever your comfort base comes from, sit with it because the pain is never as dramatic if you actually roll it out and look at it, but we're taught to shove it away and be fine. And I think that's dangerous. I'm not saying you do that in an unsafe situation, very few people are safe. But if you have a prayer partner or you have just just one-on-one, you and God, roll it out. And you will discover that the pain that you're experiencing, you are strong enough to deal with it. You do have the tools. Pushing it away, it'll just come back to haunt you. There's a 
story I like to tell. My daughter, when she was going into her senior year of college, rented a, a condo that the people they were renting from bought when it was new construction. And during construction, um, well, the, when this young woman actually bought the condo, she brought her parents in, and the realtor was there to greet them, and the place reeked. I mean, it was just unbearable how the stench, it was intolerable. And so the mother of the daughter's looking around, and the young woman says to the realtor, what is that smell? That's awful. And the realtor says, what smell? I don't smell anything. And the mother does what we mothers do. She looks around and notices every window is open. So she goes, closes every window in the place and says to the realtor, nose to nose, really, you can't smell that? Turns out, long story short, during construction, a cat had been trapped between the sheetrock. Now, this is a brand new place. It looks great. Everything about it looks great, but it smells and until you find that dead cat between the sheetrock, which you can pretend you're fine all you want, you have to get that cat out or it's never going to get better. And the dangerous thing with repressed grief is it's never one thing. When you're grieving, you, it rekindles past losses or future losses, and you don't know anymore if you've been repressing it what all you're dealing with. Until you get that cat out, it, it may be a miscarriage. It may be Fluffy, the, the one pet that really understood you. And then, of course, in the midst of the current grief, whatever that is, rolling the cat out is not only necessary, it's healthy, and that is where God meets you most. So you had your husband's passing to contend with. You yes. had the stigma of the mental illness. People didn't understand True. because of his passing. Then beloved dad passed, and True. here you are probably having to take care of mom for a bit. Yes. Now, did you have other deaths, other priors come up for you that you had to work through, or were you at a pretty strong place mentally? No one is strong after a suicide. I think if I could say any, if you're in a... Uh, Grieving a suicide, and it's fairly new, fairly new being three years or four years even, uh, be really gracious with yourself because I think there's an ebb and flow. And it's different than a different, than a, a what I call a respectable death. It just is. I'm so glad you answered the question that way because those of us who've not been in your situation probably look at this of, oh, give her a few months and then she'll get to a point of looking like she's strong and fine and then she'll get back to her life. But like you've probably found, you don't get back to your life. It's a whole brand new life and you just don't go on like you did before. Right. Which is inevitable and doable, but it is a painful process. And then suddenly one day... I thought, well, what am I going to do? And that's when the art started to come out. But even that started out with a need to express, do not hush me anymore. Excellent. Yeah. I imagine there were timelines put on you by people. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. then how lovingly so. But what do you say as someone who seems very loving? And again, you had to take care of people who hadn't gone through this. How do you help them understand that there isn't a timeline for you? I don't think that's my job. That's another great answer. <laughs> Sorry, I just don't. It's like, really? I can't fix that for you. I, I, gosh, I'd like to fix it for me, but I, I just can't. That's great. I love that responsibility piece. You are the person going through this 
not your job to hold the hand of those of us who don't understand. It's our job to hold your hand. I like that. Or give me space to just have my solitude. My mother is the busy, busy, busy type, and she would always say to me, now you have to stay busy. For about a year and a half, I would lie to her about things I was doing when really I was just staying home. Because that's this is unique to me, but I needed the solitude. I needed the one-on-one with God. And that's how I needed to heal, to be out in the world, to sit in a board meeting and talk about budgets or planning a fundraiser. None of that mattered to me anymore. I couldn't even watch TV in the beginning. You know, and watching a television ad that's telling me that I'm not thin enough or I'm going to die of this if I don't take that medication, all those things, it's like, no, I could not do real life for quite a while. I think that's probably a pretty accurate assumption, the idea that things aren't the same, they don't matter as much. You've been through something so huge that some of the trivial stuff that we worry ourselves about, all that small stuff we sweat. Here's the gift in that. You have clarity, at least I did, the moment of the suicide, I knew absolutely what mattered and what didn't. And as I got further along in the grief and started to feel better, that's when I could have regressed, and I use the word regressed intentionally, back to the life that I had been living, which was mostly dutiful, instead of really slowing down and thinking, who do I want to keep in my life? What activities do I want to keep in my life? They're all afraid of me, so I had the choice. It's a really bizarre thing to say. But I think God stopped me and said, really, is this, are we going to finally be the Marley that I created, or are we going to keep being the Marley everybody else wanted me to be? And for the first time in my life, I'm becoming me. That's tragic. I was 54 at the suicide. I'm 63 now. It's really fun being yourself. (laughs) I'm really sorry that I waited so long and that it took this, but yay. Tell me about your soul rescuing you. This will sound unbelievable, like it was in a Hollywood movie, but it really honestly is true. The morning after the suicide, I, um, I don't think I slept. Maybe I did. Maybe I dozed off with exhaustion, but I remember when daylight hit, and it was August, so daylight hits early, I thought, oh, I'm just going to get up. And I walked to the mirror, and the reflection looking back at me was everything I was not. She was calm, and I was frantic, and she had a certainty, like a twinkle in her eye, a certainty that that I would be okay. And I had zero certainty that I would be okay. And I stared at her, and I thought two things. I thought, I like you. I want to get to know you. But then the second thought was, I am way too tired to meet anyone new right now. I'm just going to go make coffee. And I know that was my soul's reflection, the, the Marley that God created, She was right there. She's looking at me. I know she giggled and followed me to the coffee pot because I wouldn't know where to put the grounds and where to put coffee at that point. And I know she made the coffee. And now that I know her better and we're becoming one, um, 
I'm really thankful for that moment. I'm glad, I'm thankful that when you are weak and when you are really, really worn out, uh, your receptivity goes sky high because you know you need help. You need not just your faith, you need hands-on time with God. When you use the term suicide widow and you call yourself that or maybe mention your website, what kind of reactions do you get? Discontent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there a I, my, my brother said shock? to me, you've got to have a different title. That's, oh. And I said to him, well, which part isn't true? The oh. suicide or the widow? Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. It's not like I, you don't meet me at a party and I don't say, hello, I'm a suicide widow. That's not going to happen. You don't have a t-shirt with that emblazoned on the front. Yeah, it's, it's, that is not at all. When I teach sometimes, I have someone ask me that. I say, well, if I met you at a party, what would you say? <laughs> <laughs> if I said, what would you, I say, I, I'm an artist. So, yeah. All right. So I want to hear about your hands-on art, your medium, what you do. It's mixed media. Um with a lot of words. The words are a contrast between what the outside world asked me to do, which was to uh, be fine, not cry, don't call yourself a suicide widow, stay busy, busy, busy. And then there's my soul, that reflection in the mirror, the, the God in you. That contrast is on the art where my soul literally writes a note to the people that are wanting me to be fine or not cry. And it's, dear they, and then my soul writes to them and signs it sincerely her soul. And it was so cathartic to get that out because it's actually delightfully charming. It's not threatening at all. And the truth is all of us have had those times when we've needed to... um, stop our world and really feel to heal. And I don't believe I ever would have gotten this far. I think forever you're always healing. But had I not felt my pain, had I not owned my pain, had I not turned to God and said, what the? And God replied, well, honey, this we're, we, we're going to sort this out. Had I not been that from the gut honest I wouldn't be sitting here today. And I certainly wouldn't have a quippy suicide widow etiquette website. So I learned about you because you were on the front page of the Statesman Journal in Salem. Terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, you say terrifying. As a reader, I had my mouth wide open. I thought, go Salem. That's amazing. The fact that they saw the value in that. It's I bet unsettling, like your brother would say, and to be on the front page of the paper. I read your story. I I wanted to hug you, but I also wanted to hang out with you and wear your clothes. (laughs) We can do that. (laughs) (laughs) You just struck me as just just an everyday gal, but lots of spunk. You're very, very honest. What were your reactions to not only them wanting to talk to you, but the placement in the paper? Okay, truth. Christian Station, we love truth. Yeah, truth is big. (laughs) I was shocked it was front page. I had no idea. And I I only get the paper online. So I went to the grocery store to get some copies, and there was a grocery cart full of my face. And I stared at that and thought, oh, I can't bear this. So I picked two up, and I turned them upside down to the cashier so she wouldn't know it was me. (laughs) 
it was, but it opened up fabulous dialogue. The people that reached out uh, that had never been heard. I, I heard from a woman who's lost her mother to suicide and they'd never talked about it for 30 years and I think her dad died before they ever really talked about it. That, you know, we, we, we shouldn't feel so ashamed and we need to own the hurt that people who are struggling to stay alive and heal and end up su succumbing to suicide, um, gosh, these, these are dear, dear souls that, that we miss and we, we grieve, and it, the shame just needs to come out. Mental illness is such a very, very deep struggle. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to watch my husband's brain literally be eaten by it the way cancer eats at healthy cells. And as cancer, we would notice that he had a physical ailment. We'd say, oh, right. but that dear darling, he has cancer. Right. In this case, I imagine him probably hiding himself a little bit it, from the world. Because of the shame of it, you bet. What if you could say, I'm not feeling good, I can't show up emotionally to something? You can't say that. He couldn't either. And hopefully someone like you is allowing us to yeah. have more comfort. I have statistics here in Oregon there is almost 7,500 people that have died by suicide in the past 10 years. And if you do that math, that's nearly 44,000 Oregonians who are experiencing grief that can be complex and traumatic. And I'm so sorry. And if you're trying to comfort someone who is grieving a suicide, the less said, the better. But truly, I am sorry is honestly enough. And if you can find the courage to not add anything on, just say, I am so sorry for your loss. It means so much to hear that without you trying to fix me. Because if you could fix me, you would. If I could fix me, I would. But just knowing that you understand that this hurts everything. Wow. Could you share a gift of service or some special words somebody gave to you that really touched you and made a big difference? The single best thing was people that listened without trying to fix. Just let me talk. Was that far and few between? Extremely. Partially just because they love me. They want me fixed. I wanted to be fixed too. <laughs> but that was between me and God. In the beginning, were you open to maybe hoping somebody could fix you? Of course. I would love that. Step right up. Step right. <laughs> but then any of the fixes just felt like you just don't understand. You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM The Truth. Thank you to my guest, Marley Rowell, the Suicide Widow. Check out her website, suicidewidowetiquette.com. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other. <laughs> <laughs>